Welcome to The Final Word, a Bible teaching ministry with pastor, teacher, and author Jim Andrews. The Final Word is grounded on the invincible conviction that what the Bible teaches, God teaches. And that is the last word. On this program, truth still matters. The Bible is in, Babel is out. The Final Word is funded by listeners like you. Should you want to partner with us or want other information about the program, please go to our website at thefinalwordradio.com. There you'll find archives so you can listen to any program you may have missed. Visit us on our social media platforms at The Final Word Radio and write us a note. We love hearing from our listeners. We'll provide other contact information at the end of the program, so have your pen ready. And now Jim Andrews continues his current study of God's Word. Good day, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for joining us again on The Final Word. Before I launch today's exposition, I want to make our listening audience aware of some articles that I have written that you might be interested in and tell you how to access them. Over the years, I have done a good deal of writing to prepare resources that I think should be helpful to you, our listeners. So grab a pen and paper and get prepared to write down a website. If you will go to jimandrewsbooks.com, you will find there a tab that says Articles. If you will open that with your cursor, you will discover there are some articles that I've produced over the years that you may find interesting and helpful. I'm not a regular blogger, but when things pop up on my radar that I feel I would like to address in a thoughtful way, I will sometimes produce a longer article. So I'm just happy to share them with you for whatever benefit they may have. We continue our exposition of the book of Hebrews. We're in chapter 5. We come today to verse 11. Some of these Hebrew Christians are getting a little squirrely in their faith. And the author is concerned about them, though, as we learn later, he's really convinced that they are not going to apostatize and turn away from the faith and turn back into Jewish ritualism and legalism. But it is clear that they do not sufficiently value Christ and all of the advantages we have in him. Now, in verse 11 of chapter 5, he says concerning him, he's referring to Christ as a high priest, not according to the order of Aaron, but according to the order of Melchizedek. That probably grabbed them by surprise. He says, concerning him, we have much to say. But it is hard to explain. He tells them why it's hard to explain to them. Since you have become dull of hearing. Now, there's a problem. For though by this time you ought to be teachers in terms of maturity... Their growth has been stunted. You have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. And you have need of milk and not solid food. They have regressed. For everyone who partakes only of milk, spiritual milk that is, is not accustomed to the word of righteousness. For he is a babe, a spiritual babe. Solid food is for the mature, spiritually mature, who, because of practice, have their senses, their spiritual senses, trained to discern good and evil. At this point, our author expresses, obviously, some frustration at the difficulty of getting through their spiritual obtuseness. It is not the depth of the subject matter, nor a room-temperature IQ of the readers, nor is it the limited grasp of the writer himself that 
constrains his ability to teach them meteor truth about the prefigurement of the priesthood of Christ in Melchizedek. The difficulty in explaining this profound truth is attributable to their lazy ear. It's attributable to their sluggishness in hearing the Word of God. It just so happens that at the present time, they are not all that keen to listen to or to learn about the deeper things of God. These are things that pastors see in their congregations in our churches all the time. They are just sort of tuned out. The problem is not information overload. The problem is really information resistance in the form of spiritual sloth. There is, in fact, something spiritually pathological about their lack of appetite for the truth. Although by this time you ought to be teachers, something's wrong. You have need, again, for someone to teach you just the elementary principles of the oracles of the revelation of God. You folk have come to need milk, not solid food. They are by no means as mature as one would expect of them in terms of the time that they have ostensibly known the Lord. When he says, by this time you ought to be teachers, but you have need again, the adverb again calls attention to their regression toward spiritual infancy. Folks, understand this. In the Christian life, we're either moving forward or we're slipping backward. You're just like standing on a steep ice field. You just cannot stand still. Many people think they can, and they're deluded. Ground once gained now must be reclaimed. That's where they are. So here, the writer disabuses his readers of any illusion that one can stand still in the life of faith. Many people share their illusion. But let me say again, we are either progressing toward maturity or we're regressing in immaturity. Their ear, which is the mouth of the soul, presently, for whatever reasons, has no taste for anything stronger than spiritual milk. Their regression in the truth is such that it seems they need to lay the foundations of the faith all over again. The writer is saying it looks like we have to go back and just teach you the ABCs of the Christian faith. What they need at this point is not meat, but milk. They can't handle the more substantive truths of the faith. That's a sad situation, but it's one that we commonly see. He goes on to explain, for everyone who partakes only of milk, and that's not just them, that's a lot of people. Their problem is they're not accustomed in the word of righteousness. They're unskilled in the word of righteousness. The meaning of the phrase, the word of righteousness, is ambiguous, standing alone. However, in this context, it appears the author means to say milk ingesters are unskilled in the matter or the subject of righteousness. That is to say, their spiritual intuitions are not well calibrated in their sense of duty toward God and in their moral discernment and sensibilities. They're dull. Their need of milk would say that they've gone backward in knowledge to a state of relative spiritual infancy. Again, this is very contemporary. We see it all the time. I see it today, even in our churches. There is little taste 
for solid teaching from the Word of God. Little taste for it. People want shallow things, things that are even worse than shallow. People want religious entertainment. People want to talk about what I call navel-gazing things. They don't want to look up. They don't want to talk about God. They don't want to talk about the glories of our Lord Jesus Christ. They want to talk about things that have to do with right here and right now, as if there is no future. But he goes on to say in verse 14, on the other hand, solid food, the kind we should all covet, it's for the mature, who because of practice, literally the word means exercise, they have their spiritual and moral senses trained to discern good and evil. Sound doctrine does that. Their framework of knowledge was first arrested. Then it atrophied. It atrophied because their ear, the mouth of the soul, as I put it, lost its appetite for the truth. And folks, when that happens, you're getting in a bad way. They were not masticating or feeding eagerly on the truth. They were failing to internalize the truth, to apply it to their life and walk. And in the process, they have become spiritually out of shape. They've become flabby. They've become slothful. They're not, spiritually speaking, working out or exercising their spiritual senses. They've become kind of numb and dumb. They've lost their edge when it comes to discerning the good and evil, both in theological and in moral terms. Their compass is not pegged to true north. This is all because they've been sluggish on their spiritual intake and slothful in their output and putting legs on their faith and putting hands to their faith. It'll happen every time. Let me make some application of the truth of this passage. I don't want any of us finding ourselves falling prey to the same error, because errors of all kinds, they appear in different dresses and they appear in different generations, but they do constantly reappear. There's really nothing new. This passage, Hebrews chapter 5, verses 11 through 14, this passage reminds us that the maintenance of our spiritual life does not tolerate well inaction and inattentiveness to the Word of God. Invariably, folks, one loses ground in knowledge and discernment that can only be reclaimed by great effort in grace. God will supply, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. You work out what God has worked in, to use a familiar expression. Get with the program. Do your part. We have certain responsibilities. And one of them is to get ourselves embedded in the Word of God, to get on our knees and pray, to get busy and do the Lord's work, to internalize the Word and put it into action. The phenomenon that our author here describes seems to me very much in evidence in modern churches. For as I suggested earlier, what I see in large measure out there are ears no longer eager for the Word of God, but open only for pablum. People out there today tend to want nothing threatening to the conscience. They want a feel-good experience. They want nothing calling us to a higher and more radical standard of holiness. They want to talk about the love of God, nothing about the holiness of God, nothing about the fear of God. Those two go hand in hand. 
They want to talk about grace, never talk about responsibilities. As I said, people today are very fond of religious entertainment. They're fond of emotional hype and sensationalism. And they're very fond of relational pop psychology. But when it comes to biblical substance, so many of the people sitting in our pews are afflicted with what my students always remember me calling the donut look, that is, the glazed look. And it's really a sorry situation. Today, the average self-advertised Christian is at best a spiritual infant, at worst a stillborn or nominal name-only disciple. For example, I suspect we would all be shell-shocked to discover how many folk occupying our church pews cannot even give a coherent explanation of the gospel, much less articulate a bare-bones, layman's biblical theology, or offer a distinctively Christian worldview. What's worse, not all that many even aspire to, or think it is all that important to be able to. Folks, this is a sad situation. The average evangelical congregation is fairly content with a shallow, soft, mellow yellow gospel that avoids the real issues, a gospel that doesn't get anywhere near the conscience, a gospel that doesn't demand anything radical, doesn't even demand repentance. The proof is in the pudding. That, more often than not, is the menu these days. It says something that people continue without protest to sit still for it year after year after year after year. I can tell you frankly that a great many people who consider themselves believers much prefer a regular diet to which milk would be a credit. They want, and only want, a menu of superficial, narcissistic, navel-gazing, self-help, psychobabble, trite that can neither redeem nor transform nor heal. It's as pathetic, folks, as it is ubiquitous. Well, this is precisely the kind of spiritual phenomenon that the Apostle Paul had in mind when he charged and so strongly admonished his protege Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4 to stick with the preaching of the Word. He told him to preach the Word when it was seasonable, preach the Word even when it's unseasonable, Timothy. For he went on to explain that the time will come. It always runs in cycles. The time will come, Paul told Timothy, when the listeners, they will get dull and they will get impatient of hearing the very same thing that the writer to the Hebrews is here talking about. And there will come a time, he warns Timothy, when those who listen to him now will turn away their ears from the truth. They will turn aside to religious myths. And they will want, this sounds so contemporary, they will want to have their ears tickled. And they will assist their appetites, Paul says, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 2 through 4, by accumulating to themselves teachers in accordance with their desires. The question may be asked, how does one account for such stubborn immaturity in veteran Christians, that is, in terms of confessional tenure? Well, if they are Christians at all, and sometimes that's doubtful, the answer is that they have been remiss 
just like these Hebrew Christians, in internalizing the Word of God. That is to say, much too often they've been hearers only, doers all too rarely. They do not have their senses trained to discern good and evil. They've not been practicing the truth. Consequently, their spiritual and moral sensitivities, I say again, are not calibrated to the Spirit of God. And the result is they're not well equipped to discern what's right and what's wrong, what's wise and what's foolish. They are out of phase spiritually and out of tune morally with the truth. Sometimes you just can't imagine that Christian people could approve or endorse or just lay back passively and take some of the things that go on in our churches. There's a lot that they just don't get. That's because their spiritual digestive tract cannot handle anything but milk or pablum. The meteor and the more enlightening truths of the Word of God are suitable for consumption only when those who have had a habit or practice of doing what they have been hearing takes its effect. It is these who have come to know God best. It is these who are most in tune with His Spirit, and they have their spiritual and moral senses trained, practiced, to discern what is good and what is evil. There is where some of these Hebrew Christians are beginning to slide off the cliff. You see what this is saying. If anyone is going to know the truth, as Jesus said in the Gospel of John, if anyone is going to know the truth, one has to do the truth. You remember Jesus said, if you're continuing in or holding on to my teaching, he was not talking about mere intellectual assent to his teaching, but he was talking about practical application of his teaching as well. He said, if anyone is continuing in or holding on to my teaching, then, then, I emphasize then, you are genuinely, genuinely my disciples. There are disciples who are nominal. There are disciples who are in name only. There are disciples who are sitting in the pew, but they're not taking up the cross. They're not the real deal. But then, if you continue in my teaching, you are genuinely my disciples. And then notice what Jesus says. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Not politically free, but morally free to be what you ought to be, to do what you ought to do, to go where you ought to go. The truth will set you free. But you won't know the truth, really know the truth, until you continue in the truth. Do you see how all of this is connecting up with Hebrews chapter 5, verses 11 through 14? Many self-professed Christians aren't with the program. Many show little capacity for more mature knowledge of the things of God. They will choke on meat. They'll do that because they're not practicing what has been proclaimed and prescribed. Their button, if they really have one, is stuck in spiritual neutral. They are pretty much impervious to greater light until they start walking in the light they have. This is serious business, folks. And it's all bound up in the mystery of apostasy apostasy being a fatal lapse of faith and a turning away from Christ. Ah, we've got to understand this. This is so serious, and we see it taking place here in the early church with some of these Hebrew Christians. Listen, I could tell you something. Trust me on this. I've seen it. I know it. It just kind of illustrates all that I'm going to say. I'm not picking on women. I hope you don't misunderstand this statement. I love women. Where would we be without all the great women that we have in our churches, and we have some great ones. 
But you give me, for example, you give me 60 women who want to come, let's say, to what we call rather loosely a Bible study. And you give me a marriage class over here. And you give me another class over here that seriously gets into the scriptures. I will guarantee you where the majority are going to go. And they'll do it year after year after year. Even if they took one marriage class, then they'll take another, then they'll take another. They do not gravitate, the majority of them, to the scriptures. They gravitate to those other things. And it's no wonder that they can only handle milk. Their ears are dull of hearing the word of God. Everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness because they remain babes. They're not roadworthy. They cannot handle life nor their marriages, no matter how many classes they take, because they do not know and learn to follow the Word of God. Solid food is for the mature. These are the ones who, because of practice, because of internalizing the truth, they have their senses well calibrated to discern good and evil. Before I leave this chapter, I must mention that Dr. William Lane has a nuanced interpretation of this passage that I think has a lot of merit. He views the author's biting words as irony. That is, he sees them as benignly mocking these believers. He intends for it to be a shock therapy, to shake them out of their sloth and spiritual apathy. He sees the writer as speaking much like a coach or a parent might do, the coach to give his charges or the parent to their children a well-intentioned kick in the behind to get them on another track. I want to paraphrase the tone of his remarks, as I believe the author, Dr. Lane, understands them. Here's the way it goes. Brothers, it is really hard to talk to you about these things because your ears are so unattuned to the Word of God. To tell you the truth, I feel I have to restrict myself by giving you milk instead of feeding you meat. I mean, milk is a diet for babies. It's for people not very skillful in matters of righteousness. The solid stuff is for those who welcome it and use it and have mature spiritual discernment. Is that the way you want it? Do I really have to minister to you on that level? In other words, the spirit of his remarks is something like that old story about the ironical comments of the iconic Newt Rockney, the famous Notre Dame coach of another era. Observing his Irish football team was playing way below their potential and losing to an inferior opponent. At halftime, Rockney bellowed, Okay, girls, let's go get them. Ashamed at their girlish play, the Irish came back and stomped whoever their opponent was in that day. But what we have here is a little like a father saying to his son, You know, son, there's a lot I'd like to entrust you with. But you know you don't listen very well, and frankly, sometimes I have to talk to you like you're a juvenile rather than an adult. In some ways, you've regressed and you just aren't in your game. That's not to say that the father's given up on better things, but his strong, biting language is a form of shock talk to get his son hopefully to see the seriousness of his irresponsibility in immature ways. So it is here. The author's tone is not really, oh my, now we have to start all over and build your faith from the ground up. I agree with Lane. His tone and intent is more in the vein of shame on you. You people should be more advanced in the faith and in your spiritual discernment than you are. Shame on you that you resist anything but baby food and appear to choke on anything else. Shame on you that you are so undiscerning 
in matters of righteousness. Well, that brings us to chapter 6. We'll pick up there next time. Thank you, dear friends, for joining us on The Final Word. God bless you and have a wonderful day. The Final Word is a listener-supported ministry. Should you want to partner with us or want other information about this program, please visit our website at thefinalwordradio.com. Our postal address is The Final Word, 4565 Carmen Drive, Lake Oswego, Oregon, 97035. Our email address is info at thefinalwordradio.com. Our phone number is 503-699-9840. If this program has ministered to you, tell a friend about it. We do solicit your prayers for God's hand upon this outreach. Be sure the word. Be sure the word. Just be sure the word gets in their hands.